Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 22 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I have Rachel with me. Hi, Rachel. Hi. And we have some really great questions from listeners today. So we're going to try to answer, we'll try to answer four of them. And um, Rachel and I were just talking before we started recording here. And we were just kind of sharing some of our different thoughts about these questions. And we are both kind of coming at them from little different angles. And I think that, I think there'll be a lot of food for thought in today's podcast episode. So let's play the first question and we'll get started. Why do I still hope that my abusive husband will have a God moment and have godly sorrow and call me with repentance heart, not change heart, so that we can restore our marriage? Why do I keep hoping for that when I went through so much abuse? Thank you. Well, I think that the, the you have to accept the fact that you do love your husband. And so that love has inspired all sorts of hope in you. And it's possible that maybe there's still some grief that needs to be processed over the loss of that hope. Um, and the fact that perhaps this is never going to happen, that he may not ever choose to repent and that it won't be possible for the marriage to be restored. Um, so I just want to encourage you to ask God to put a new hope in your heart and to grieve that dream of, of how things could have been and that image that you had um, and that that sort of sustained you for all those years and sounds like it's sort, st- still sort of sustaining you and you're still hoping on that. Um, grief is such an important process and one that I think we avoid to our own detriment because it is so painful. Yeah, I I would add to that too. I'm in the middle, actually, I'm done reading this book called Brain Talk by David Schnark. And I think I might've mentioned it in one of my other podcast episodes, but um, I think too, it's really hard for us to disconnect our emotions from uh, an abusive spouse if we still believe deep down inside that that they actually are who they say they are. You know, if we still believe that they've got all this potential, that they, at the end of the day, really, that we really could have a meeting of the minds, if we could just figure out the right way to approach the subject or the right way to, you know, help the light bulbs to go on. We think that they are kind of stuck in their bodies and they just can't, there's just no way that they can, um, you know, we believe that they can actually get better, that they can actually change. But so here's what I learned from reading this book, Brain Talk. He teaches you the fact that people have mind mapping ability. Everybody has mind mapping ability. Animals have mind mapping ability. The only people that don't, how you can tell that someone does not have any mind mapping ability is they're very, they don't pick up on social cues they're, you know, they get into other people's space. They don't have any concept. They would not have, if you tried to explain what mind mapping was to them, they would have no idea what you're talking about because there just are no categories in their mind for that. They're unable, literally unable to understand life from another person's perspective. So this would be, 
Like you might see people on the very extreme um, spectrum, autistic spectrum, perhaps that might be this way. Um, People that have had brain damage or severe emotional issues. Um, But I have like, I have a son who is on the autistic autism spectrum and he has great mind mapping ability. So um, so the fact is, if you recognize that your spouse actually does have mind mapping ability, then you have to, that, that means that when he's doing something that's hurtful to you, he's actually watching your responses to him and he knows what you're going through. So a lot of times we think that empathy is just something good. You know, when you have empathy for someone, that means that you put yourself in their shoes, you understand where they're coming from and you empathize with them. But actually there's something called antisocial empathy. And it's where you put yourself in their shoes and you can see by their reactions and the way they're talking and their body language that they are having a visceral reaction to what you're doing. And you can empathize with that, but you actually enjoy causing that visceral reaction in them. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think this is really hard for people like us to wrap our minds around. We cannot envision how someone could live like this. Right. Because when we, so, and that's how we project our, our true empathy on others. We project that on an abusive spouse. And we believe that because we have feelings, like I have had people do really people in my uh, family of origin, who've done really, really mean things to me. And I can still see their perspective and I can still see where that might've come from. And I can actually, even though I'm super hurt, I can actually still feel bad for them because of my empathy. But I've always, my whole life, I've believed that they have the same feelings towards me. And it's been this eye-opening, kind of a shock, kind of a painful shock to realize that not everyone has that. Actually, some people actually get pleasure from hurting you. And they're not, they don't have any kind of true empathy whatsoever. So one of the ways that you can, you know, deal with this like hurtful, he calls it spaghetti brain that you get when you, when someone that you care about and that you think you can trust is doing these things to you that are really hurtful, these kind of side making sideways comments or just doing hurtful things that you can't wrap your brain around. Like, why would they do that if they love me? Um, Is that you can try to look at an interaction between you and that person from a third person perspective. So go back and you can do this in your journal or you can just close your eyes and imagine, go back and imagine that situation again, but pretend that you are, you know, a bug on the wall watching you and this person interact and see if you can mind map this other person more accurately because you think that you've mind mapped him accurately, but you haven't. You actually, actually you have deep down inside your brain is, is incredible. It's incredible instrument. You actually are mind mapping him correctly. That's why you have all of these crazy, uh, hurt, hurtful feelings. But your other part of your brain, your rational brain is kicking in and going, well, no, he couldn't mean it that way. Well, no, he must have a reason for being, for saying that. Well, you know, he's had a bad day at work and we make excuses and we justify it. We actually go into play and justify and minimize their behavior and the whole nine yards. Once you can actually really see the person for who they really are, and this is what this is exactly what happened to me. And Rachel, you can tell me if you can relate to this, but 
once I started mind mapping, and I didn't even know it was called mind mapping. I just started doing this. Once I started mapping out my ex-husband more accurately and looking at the painful, hard truth of who he really was and what he was actually doing to me, and I could see it happening in real time over and over again, I was kind of testing him and trying things out and I could see it in real time. Once I realized that for sure, for sure, everything, all the pieces fell into place and I was able to actually disconnect emotionally from him and move on. But I couldn't mm-hmm. do that until I could actually see him for who he really was. So that's my only suggestion. I mean, Rachel, do you, what do you think about that? Do you, does that, yeah, I think it, oh, absolutely. It, it, you have to start with the truth and the truth is incredibly painful, but it's the only thing that's going to set you free from this hope that you're, you're living off of that he's going to change. Um, and, and who knows, maybe he could, but you can't live there. Um, right. you've got to accept the truth of where he is right now and then respond accordingly to that. Right. And if you're, I don't know if this pers- particular person or if anybody else who's listening is kind of on that edge of like, well, should I pull the plug and should I file for a divorce or should I not? Um, but when you're, when you're at that place, I always tell people, make sure that you know for sure before you do it. You don't, you know, don't, don't pressure yourself. You'll, you'll know when you're ready. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, even if he did change after you got divorced, let's say that you got divorced and he, let's say he gave you an amazing divorce. They, they never do that, by the way. But let's say that he did. Um, let's say that he repented during the divorce process. He repents. He gives you an amazing divorce, lets you have your freedom. And, he, and then you can see that he's really changed and things have completely done a 180 and he's amazing to your children. And he, <clears throat> he doesn't launch a smear campaign. Instead, he goes around and repents for, to everybody and explains what he's done and blah, 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 blah. I, by the way, I've never seen this, but you know, it could happen. Then what you could always get remarried, right? Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. have done that. Yeah. So, um, so it's not, all is not lost just because you pull the plug. I mean, the only time it's completely lost is if someone's actually dead, you know, then, then it's over. But until then (laughs) there's always hope, but I really don't think that we should, like Rachel said earlier, I don't think that hoping in this should be where we put our, all of our eggs. We should not put all of our eggs in this basket because this basket has got way too many holes in it. But the basket of Jesus Christ is complete and whole. You can put all your eggs in that basket and be guaranteed that you will be loved, that he will be faithful, that he will never leave you, that um, you are safe. And that's the basket that we all need to stick our eggs in, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. That you can never go wrong putting your eggs in Jesus' basket. And there's a song I want to recommend, my favorite third day song called My Hope Is In You. Listen to that. Think about it say it over and over again. My hope is in you. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, it is. I I know that one. Okay. Let's listen to the next question. Here we go. My husband would asked for some book suggestions to read. Should I suggest boundaries in marriage by cloud and Townsend? Okay, Rachel, what do you have any ideas for this woman book boundaries in marriage? Well, I do. I want to say some things for outright without um, actually talking specifically about books, but just some general principles about giving narcissists information. Um, it it opens up vulnerability to you, which is um, 
it can be really tricky because you want to help them, right? And we spent our entire life marriages um, helping them, um, help trying to make them see things, et cetera. And so it seems like a good idea to give them all the information that we are discovering, right? About um, things that are finally making sense, right? Yeah. But unfortunately, because of the pathology of narcissism, they use information like a weapon and oftentimes, most of the time against you. Mm-hmm. And so what happens a lot of times is um, if you give them books that talk about like what narcissists do or anything like that, um, they'll start using that language against you and it will make your life even more confusing because it's not, yeah. they've got, they've got the language, but not the heart change. Yeah. Um, and so it, it just makes things so much more complicated, but I love the the motivation here. I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're trying to see what, what you can do for your husband. Um, so I think boundaries of marriage is a really good book and I, I actually have it here with me. Um, it helps me a lot. And I would just encourage you to make sure that you have good boundaries and you have a, a full understanding of, of, um, the truth of the way narcissists look and what an unrepentant heart looks like so that you can discern if he's using information against you. Yeah, that is so good. Those are really, really good points. Um, the only, uh, I, if I were to recommend books, I would not recommend that you'd ever give, uh, a, a husband like this, like books, like general, you know, Christianese kind of books on marriage, just because, it's going to talk about your role and, and all of that. And then he's going to pick up on all of that and use it against you. Or like even books about emotional abuse. I would not, yeah. never, ever give your, give an abusive spouse books about emotional abuse. Just don't, <laughs> you'll be in so much big trouble, but, and hide any books that you have about that. So yes. and ask me how I know. That's a Yeah, me too. Podcast. Me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so, but here are some good books that might be, um, helpful if you have a husband who's actually really interested in reading some good books on marriage and wants to learn how to have more of a mutual marriage instead of a power over marriage. One would be um, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. Another one is, yeah, another one is Mutual by Design, A Better Model for Christian Marriage by Elizabeth Beyer. And another one that I haven't read yet, but it's by the same author of this talk, uh, brain talk book, David Schnark, Dr. David Schnark. And I guess he's mostly well known for being a sex therapist and helping people with that kind of stuff. So he's got this book. I have it. I just haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It's called Passionate Marriage. And um, I think that that would probably be another really good tool um, for you if you think that your husband is open to that and wanting to learn. So good luck to you with that. Okay. Again, make sure you've got good boundaries. Yes. And you understand that. <laughs> just want to reemphasize that. Okay. Let's listen to the third question. Here we go. We live in an age where individualism reigns supreme. As home educating moms, we have pushed against that and laid down our lives for our families. We've looked at the scriptures which exhort us to take up our cross daily. We're confident God hears us and sees us and is sovereign. Then we find our life is unravelling. Our adult children ignore or despise us and we suffer with insomnia and even wondering who on earth we are. Then we find that as we've had a habit of appeasement for years, we have disappeared, been erased. At that point, we really begin our education. One thing I'd like to have clear in my mind is where does the line fall between laying down our lives 
taking up our cross daily, and stepping out of the line of fire? How do we find that line? Is there a passage of scripture which sheds light on it, or how does the character of God shine light on this issue? Okay, Rachel, you shared um, some really good things before this podcast started for that addressed this question. Can you tell us what you were thinking? This topic of of suffering is so confusing because suffering is a reality in life and it's reality in a Christian walk, right? God never promises that it's going to be all gravy and it's it's going to be all good. No, that's later on, okay? But right now, in these earthly tents, we will have suffering. So what is the suffering that we're called to? We're called to godly suffering. And how is that different from ungodly suffering? That is so confusing. And a lot of people get tripped up, I think, in this way. Suffering just for the sake of suffering as though it would somehow make us more pious or more redeemed. Um, uh, that is that is ungodly suffering. Um, godly suffering looks like speaking the truth, like it talks about in Ephesians uh-huh. 5, um, starting in verse 6, shining the light, exposing the deeds of darkness. And if you do that, you are going to suffer because evil doesn't like that. Evil doesn't mm-hmm. like the light. And I want to point out that Jesus didn't suffer for a lie. I mean, he, he suffered because mm-hmm. of lies. He suffered because people had the wrong idea about who he was. And he did try to correct them, but at the end he didn't. Um, you know, he, he just took up his cross and suffered and laid down his own life because he came to redeem us from our own suffering um, and to, to show the truth of who God is to the world. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it so that we could keep on suffering. He didn't do it, or, excuse me, he didn't do that so we could keep on sinning. He didn't do that so he could he would enable us just to sin as though nothing had changed um, so that we could continue to live under our own power. Right. Okay, so let's think about that in the context of marriage. Is our husband wanting us to suffer so that he can continue to sin and is, he can continue to live under his own power in an unsurrendered state to God? Mm-hmm. We are not to suffer for that. Mm-hmm. We are to suffer for the truth, to 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 stand up for the fact that he needs to um, to repent of his pride and his sin and his arrogance, thinking that um, and and making himself an own god in 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 this life. Okay, mm-hmm. yep. and you are going to suffer. So um, I think we need to forget this i this picture of the godly wife who just you know um, basically puts up with whatever the heck her husband does to her. And that that's somehow um, what God calls us to. I don't believe that. Yeah. God calls us to suffer for the truth um, yeah. and, and not to allow um, and tolerate someone to continue to, to um, exist in an unrepentant state and to, to continue to like almost as if we're taking joy in that. We're, we're saying it's okay for them to um, continue to, to live under their own power, unrepentant, um, in sin. Right. Which is not love by the way. No, that's not love. That's not love. And one more thing I do want to say back to, you know, when Jesus, Jesus suffered and he had his eye on what, what was coming after that um, suffering, as it says in Hebrews 12, two, for the joy that lay before him enduring the cross, despising the shame, 
sitting down now at the right hand of God. He was looking at what was beyond. Yeah. So look at what is beyond if you continue to suffer in the in the in the in, in your marriage. Is it just going to continue like this? Nothing's ever going to change? Or or we could be called to suffer along with a repentant spouse, like someone who maybe had an affair but is completely and un, you know undeniably repentant. You're both going to suffer there, but what's the end result? Redemption, right? And right. and maybe a restored relationship. That's that's godly suffering. But ungodly suffering looks like just nothing ever changes. This is just um, a hardened, unrepentant person being allowed to continue in that way. That is not what God calls us to. Right. Well, and when you think about taking up your cross, it, that doesn't mean that you're literally, you know, going to your own crucifixion or, or even any kind of parallel idea of that, that you are, you know, people say, well, we have to die to yourself. We've talked about that in another episode, but that doesn't mean that you, that doesn't mean that you never take care of yourself. That doesn't mean that you ever try to get out of destructive situations. Um, it, it, what it means, what they're actually saying there, that's just a metaphor for when we get up in the morning, for example, let's say that you're a mother and you've got children, you are laying down your life for those kids. You are, maybe you are, you have a newborn. And so you're not able to go to, uh, you're not able to travel because you're going to stay home with your newborn and take care of your child. That's laying down your life, laying down what you'd rather do in order to take care of somebody else. Um, and as far as the escaping destructive things, there are so many examples of where people, godly people in the Bible, not perfect people, but you know, people who served God chose to get out of dangerous situations and some of yes. them are like David with Saul. That's an obvious one. Yes. Um, when Jesus was a baby, but even when Jesus was an adult and they were trying to kill him, they wanted to throw him over the cliff. He walked through the crowd and got away. And before right. he was crucified, he actually hid out for a while um, in the suburbs of Jerusalem. He was hiding in order because they were at that point, they were like livid with rage and they wanted to kill him on the spot. You know, they just wanted to grab him and kill him. And he yeah. hid. He didn't just Mm -hmm. expose himself and say, well, because there was a right time and a right place. Um, Think about um, like Peter and, and was it Peter and Andrew who were in the jail singing Mm -hmm. those two? I can't remember. Yes. Andrew and Jane. No, Peter and Andrew, I think. I don't remember. Anyway, two guys (laughs) were in the jail singing. Paul and Silas. Uh That's what I'm thinking of. Well, Peter and Andrew, Peter also escaped from jail. Yeah, yes, he did. An angel came Uh and got him out. He didn't like say to the angel, well, you know what? I really want to pick up my cross and suffer for Christ. So thank you very much for the ticket out, but I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. He didn't do that. And Paul and Silas, or yeah, Paul and Silas, they were sitting in prison. And then when the prison, Mm -hmm. when the whole thing fell apart, they didn't say, well, actually they did stay. But in, it was, again, okay, now I'm shooting myself in the foot here. No, it was again because they saw what the outcome would be. They saw the salvation yeah. of the people around them if they stayed and didn't run away from, you know, their situation. But so, you know, we ha- I guess what, what it boils down to is really just applying the law of wisdom to your situation. Yeah. And, um, and every situation is going to be different. And even the timing of every situation is going to be different. Okay, depending yeah. on what how old your kids are, um, what your ability is, maybe you maybe you believe that God really does want you to be free eventually, but you're not quite set up for that. So you're going to work for a while to get yourself to a place where you can extract yourself 
from that situation in the best way for yourself and for any children that you have. Um, you know, and again, that's going to be different for every person. I think it's really, really important that all of us as survivors, as well as anyone else who's listening, give each other the chance to have the freedom to make our own wise decisions for our own lives without judging. Well, you didn't do it my way. Well, if if you would have done it my way, then this would have gone better for you. No, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. That is absolutely ridiculous. We need to stop doing that to each other and give each other the freedom to decide for ourselves. You know, you listener know what is best for your life. Believe it or not, God has put inside of you wisdom that comes from him. It's given as common grace to everyone for what to do with your life. You need to listen to his Holy Spirit and listen to what he's speaking to you inside of your life. Don't listen to the voices of other people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yes. Agree. There will be other wise people that come into your life to speak into your life. But you know what? A lot of the people that speak into our lives, they're really not very wise and they don't mm-hmm. really know our situation. So you don't need mm-hmm. to pay attention to them. Agree. Um, and yes, we have to respect the presence of the Holy Spirit in the other person and, and realize that they are accountable to God. It is, you know, we're not accountable for their soul. Right. And I, th- I think that's so um, such a thing that's lacking in the church, but um, I digress. I also, she wanted um, some scripture uh, to, to go study. And I, I want to make sure um, just to give her a couple of things to think about. Proverbs 19, 19 talks about how a hot tempered man um, should suffer or should have his own consequences. Because if you, if you take away those consequences, um, you're going to suffer again. He's going to do it again, basically. Go study that verse. Think about what that means. Mm. Um, and then also, I do think that a lot of the confusion about this idea of suffering um, comes from a passage in First Peter. It's First Peter 2, starting in verse 18. And I just want to encourage you to go look at that passage and look at what it says about suffering for good and think about, ask God to give you insight into what good means. Um, it is not to empower uh, uh, slander and malice. In fact, Peter had actually just condemned that type of activity earlier in the book um, about how to have, have nothing to do with those kinds of things. So ask God for wisdom about what suffering for good looks like and and to reveal his truth. And he will. Yeah, so good. Okay, let's listen to the last question. Here we go. Hi, I have been married to a man that is a Christian for 17 years. In fact, he was a part of my coming to the Lord I thought he was mistreating me because I wasn't spiritual enough at the beginning of our marriage, but it has gotten worse. He has a lot of good qualities, but I'm 70 years old and I have so much fear. And I don't understand the sadness because when he is kind, he is very kind but I just have this cloud of sadness over me constantly, like I don't want him to never be in my life again. Please help me understand this and these feelings. Well, this question makes me really sad, Rachel. Uh, Me too. 
I just want to say to this woman, um, wherever you are, you are loved um, mm-hmm. un, by an unsurpassably amazing big God. And um, I think there's two things I want to share with you. It sounds like you are suffering from some really profound trauma bonds. Trauma bonds are what happens when someone in your life is, is a source of pain. And also that same person is a source of um, a solution to that same pain. And it, what happens is it, it is an addictive cycle where someone puts you in pain and then they give you the pleasure of, of um, you know, making things right again or accepting you again. And it's just over and over and over again. I've suffered from these in my own life. And I can tell you that there is freedom from that, but you have to understand what it is um, first. So if you can read up about trauma bonds, I think that's going to help you. Um, And then the second thing I want to say is that this man, um, your husband, he, it sounds like he was the person who showed you uh, about God, who led you to God. And there's a possibility that you may be associating his voice with the voice of God in your life. And that might be where the fear is coming from, because in order to, um, the thought of cutting, cutting off um, your husband from your life is also means like this, the voice of God is cut off in your life. And um, I actually lived like that. Like I, I had basically put my husband in the place of God in my life. And I felt like as long as I did whatever he said, that I was safe and and things were going to be fine. And that's not true because he was um, not, not in connection with God. His heart was, was closed off um, very hard towards God. And um, so I think it's important, really, really, really important for you to get to know God on your own. Get to know God on your own terms. Try to block out the voice of um of your husband and what he's told you about yourself in ways that he, he may have been condemning you approach God like an innocent child does to their very loving father. Um, and, and start to get to know him. Natalie and I, we, we talk about how, um, the gospels, especially the book of John has been so powerful in our lives for just really getting to know who Jesus is and his unsurpassing love for you and his acceptance of you. His understanding, of, you know, the Bible talks about how God knows we are made of flesh. Mm-hmm. He sees our frailties. He sees our fears. And his love is the solution for all of those things. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, his love is around us, but we have, to, we have to step into it. We have to realize it's always been there. But if we don't open ourselves up to it and allow it to penetrate to the very deepest recesses of our being, it doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't change us. It doesn't drive out that fear um, that, that you're experiencing. Allow God's love to penetrate to, um, to who you are at the core of your being. And you can only do that by getting to know him on your own terms. And there's a book I want to recommend um, by an author that I previously recommended, David Benner. He I'm reading his book, Surrender to Love, right now, and I can tell you it is life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. It is really teaching me about the um, how to know God's love, not just as a belief, like we all understand it intellectually, right? We've been taught that since we were kids and seeing Jesus loves me. 
but knowing it as an experience is something completely different. Mm-hmm. And it, and that is what has the power to change us and the power to drive out that fear that is so crippling. Mm-hmm. Get to know Jesus, get to know him and who, how he thinks of you. And that fear is going to go away. I promise you. And you are so loved. Yeah. I, you know, I would add to, to get to know yourself and try to, yeah. um, try to separate yourself from him if you can. So you may not feel like uh, this is a point in your life where you want to actually pursue a divorce. I mean, a divorce is a lengthy process. It never leaves you financially more stable. It always leaves you financially less stable um, at first. Um, and this, but but what I'm going to say next is not just for you, but it's for any listener who feels like I really don't want to get a divorce. So how do I deal with this destructive relationship and stay married? And my advice would be to learn how to pa- live parallel with someone So learn how to be detached from that person um, and have your own life and your own thought patterns and your own, you know, get your own healing and view that other person. Once you see that other person for who they really are, as we talked about earlier um, in this podcast, you can start detaching from them and seeing yourself as a completely different person. So when you look at them and they're doing just harmful things to you or defining you in certain ways, it doesn't affect you anymore because you can objectively go, well, that's their opinion. They're kind of, you know, they're kind of dysfunctional. They've got a weird way of looking at life and that's the way they are, but I'm not that way. And in, when, when they say things like that, it doesn't really tell me who I am. It basically tells me who they are. And then you're able to move forward separately from them, even though you're not divorced. Yes. You're still going to be re-triggered. Um, it's not the ideal situation, but sometimes for those who aren't able to get a divorce or who don't want to get a divorce, this is really the only other alternative. So that's what I recommend. Yeah. Um, we are going to close now because we got to wrap this up, but I wanted to say that there is a, oh, first of all, also, actually, this goes along with the last question too. I do have a support group that helps people do what I just just told you about. Um, whether you are going to get a divorce or whether you're going to stay, it doesn't matter. This will help you to heal. And this support group offers courses every month. It offers a, a secret Facebook group. So you have community with other women who are just like you, who are going through the same things. So you have camaraderie and companionship and you know, non-judgmental environment to express what's happening in your life and to, and to pray for you, really. Yeah. And um, it all, there are also expert workshops. You get access to all of the workshops that have already been done and you get access to a brand new workshop every month. You get access to butterfly stories. Those are stories of other women just like you who have gone from crawling to flying. There's a new one every month, but there's, you also have full access to all the past ones. Um, there are, you get a live Q&A every month. You get a live coffee chat every month with the other women in the group. So there is a lot of value to this group. It only opens up every four months. I'm opening up a little bit early again this next time. So it's going to be opening up again at the end of this month, June. It's June 1st today. By the end of this month, it will be opening up again. If you want to join, you need to get on the waiting list though. And to do that, go to my website, flyingfreenow.com and click on, on the sidebar, there are um, if you click on an article, any article, and then on the sidebar, it, there, there will be a couple of different places where you can um, sign up to get on the waiting list for that. 
Um, so the, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say to the podcast listeners who may not know, that's how I know Natalie is that I was yeah. in that support group. I was in the first group that she ever established and it was instrumental in helping me on my journal journey. I can't recommend it enough. If this is something that you are, are struggling with in your life, you have got to have support. And these people know exactly what your life is because they lived it too. So yes. can't endorse enough. Yes. So we offer education. We want to educate you. We want to empower you. And we also want to support you. Um, okay. So the winner of my book, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage is, and by the way, you get entered into a drawing forever. It used to be every 10 reviews. I think I'm going to do every 20 because now we're getting a little more reviews in. I'm not sure, but every once in a while, if you put in a review, you get entered into a drawing for a free copy of my book, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage. And the winner this time is Linda C. And I won't expose who she really is, but I will be sending you an email and getting your address so that you can, um, so I can ship you a copy of my book. So how you can leave a review is just go to my website, flyingfreenow.com. Up in the menu bar, it says podcast. Click on that, open up any podcast, and it will give you the instructions for how to leave a review. Um, you can do it. And otherwise, if you are a savvy iTunes person, you just open it up on your app. And then that's where you leave a review is on iTunes. No place else. iTunes is the only place where they, you know, where, where the reviews actually matter. So um, leave a review over there. We'd love to hear from you. I should have brought, gotten some so I could read. I, I, meant, I mean to read a couple of reviews each time and then I always forget. Um, and then finally, if you have a question that you would like to submit for a future podcast episode, you can do that too by, again, going to my website, flyingfreenow.com, click on the podcast menu bar, open up a podcast, and there will be a link in there. For, um, to the question app and it's like this little you can it's like a little recording app and you press the play button or the record button and it actually records your voice so that you can your voice can be on the podcast like these other ladies were and you don't need to leave your name in fact if you do leave your name I usually bleep it out because we don't want you to be exposed to anybody it's all anonymous and then you can ask whatever question you want and Rachel and I will try to tackle your questions and that's it for now um, fly free. <laughs>